0: John Wesley said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. America, did you hear him? I hope so. Well, welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And this is the podcast, if you're new here, um, you know, we do our best every week to help Christians live a life that's pleasing to God and sort of navigate this ever increasingly secular and religionless world. Um, So we're happy to have you. And today, um, we're going to be discussing the news as always. And we want to take for our Bible topic today, we're going to try to take a look back at a topic we discussed last week. Um, the seeker sensitive church and really sort of the damage that it's caused to America in our eyes. So um, the weather is not really cooperating with us here. We were sold a bill of goods here that we were moving to the sunshine state. Is what we were told. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the exact numbers, but it has to be like,
1: it's the an, monsoon state.
0: Yeah, it has yeah. to have rained like 80% of the days this summer. And that's not even an exaggeration. It. Rain coming from New
1: Mexico. I mean that difference. They didn't have rain like all summer until very recently.
0: No, I was literally sitting in my car this morning and I was like, just in my mind, I was like arguing with myself. Like somebody explained to me why this is a destination. Like this is a place people are hungry to get to.
1: Like Like, I clean Airbnbs. I don't don't have any work now because nobody's coming to visit when they see this weather. Like. I'm out of work.
0: <laughs> yeah, It's miserable, but pray for us. I know there's worse places you can be in the, in the world. And I guess a little bit of rain isn't that bad, except that we record this podcast because we're brilliant in a room with a skylight. So when it rains, it's very challenging to record this podcast. So we're hoping that it holds out. Um, if it doesn't, you know, we'll pick up where we left off and uh, try to finish this. But um yeah, we're we're gonna make do the best we can. So um yeah, before we get into the actual episode and everything, though, is there anything you would like to say?
1: Um, I don't really have any prayer requests. You have a prayer request?
0: I do, yeah. So I have mentioned to you guys in the past a young man whose name is Josiah. He is one of the guys that uh I had met when when he was in jail, he was in the Bible study. And he's gotten out of jail. He's been out of jail now for, I guess, a couple months, doing really good. Um, but he's just had some prior legal issues that have been drummed back up that he thought were behind him. And it looks like he may be um, getting incarcerated again. So just keep him in your prayers. Um, first and foremost, that his you know, spirit would not falter, you know, with more bad news. But, you know, that he would find favor and um, favor with the judge and uh, all of that. But, um, yeah, just keep Josiah in your prayers. And another prayer, um, not really a prayer, I guess, just a request. So uh, you guys know, I've mentioned before, I'm a student at the Master Seminary. And they just had this really cool opportunity um, open up not really an opportunity, it's for everybody, but there's a conference in October um, that we would really like to get to. And that's what we're going to try to plan on doing. Just pray for us that God would make a way for me and Nikki to get out to LA and um, have our sort of spirits enriched um, with this conference out there. And um, yeah, just, you know, make a way for us that we can get ourselves out there and if you feel at all like contributing, um, you can see, we got our nice matching shirts on here. You can go pick up a shirt links are in the show notes, or if you'd rather just, uh, straight up support the show, we got some links down there. You can go buy yourself some good Christian books, um, uh, one of our affiliate links, and we would certainly appreciate that. Um, but that is all the prayer requests that I have. So, um, Before we start rolling into um, the news and all that, let's make sure we get uh, what we need to get addressed here. Cardinal Contingency Solutions, you guys know them, you hear about them every week, go give them a call. Don't be uh, caught with your pants down, as I like to say, unprepared in this crazy world that we live in. Cardinal Contingency Solutions can get you right in a myriad of ways. All you got to do is reach out to them. And then also we're members of the Christian podcast community. And uh, I got this down here, Doctrine Matters. I'm trying to reach out and connect with this fella, Stephen Dew, and try to see if we can't bring him on the podcast and do a little interview. I listened to a show that he had um, down here on uh, Christians and politics. And, you know, it was kind of right up our alley. So I thought maybe we'd bring him on here and discuss that and just, you know, see uh if that produces anything worth listening to which i imagine it would so um be on the lookout for that we're reaching out to him there um all right we have come to that point in the show you guys know it gird your loins um steal up your soul i guess and prepare as we get ready for our weekly trek Through the valley of the shadow of death, we take a look at the news of the week. Boy, was there some news this week. Um, There really wasn't anything overly big, I don't suppose, but just, you know, a lot of stuff that was like, you know, eye roll kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what's the word? (laughs) If you want to roll or read this first headline, honey.
1: Libs of TikTok shares video of individual who uses God as a pronoun. God is me validating my agenderness, or the odd genderness.
0: Whatever, it doesn't <laughs> make a difference. So yeah, this first story here, we just wanted to kind of, you know, plumb the depths of insanity that this nation, you know, has delved into in regards to the gender madness and what we've allowed this to take root. You
1: do not want to use TikTok. I know we use TikTok, but you're like, don't let your kids. <laughs>
0: oh, don't ever let your kids on TikTok, but libs oh, of man. TikTok.
1: sad So with the libs Mary. of TikTok, it's like a thing, like a
0: hashtag or? It's their channel. It's like libs of TikTok is their channel. Okay, I guess I don't TikTok understand channel. TikTok really well. And it's just a collection of the craziest, most, you know, rabid, Liberal insanity, sort of poured out together, I'm but a headache already. <laughs> um, so do you want to read these first uh, or this oh, first dear. paragraph here? It
1: Says God is me validating my agenderness. The person noted in the video before going on to state, "I don't view myself as a god. I'm an atheist. I don't believe in gods." The individual claimed not to have a gender. And said that it's like I'm existing as well as not existing at the same time. God. And I am a being, but also not a being like God.
0: Sorry,
1: <laughs> is there more to read? No,
0: no, thankfully, which is. I don't even I don't know, know how to read that right. Well, I don't know what she oh. thinks of God because. God always exists. That is sort of an attribute of like, God. How do you
1: try to explain God to someone She's when like, you don't I'm believe existing in God and
0: not existing like God? No, oh, God exists. My
1: goodness. That's kind of
0: why he's God. So, um, but this story, you know, it's eye-opening for sure. It's ludicrous. I mean, there's probably no, um, end to the, I guess, uh, Things you could say about this, but I do think that this might be as close, or at least as close as we've been, for the gender. Um, I don't know, the gender crazy in this country to just come right out and say my gender is an idol. You mm-hmm. know, she's basically saying my gender has made me like a god. I mean, she's essentially saying my gender is my idol. I worship my gender. We
1: talked about that before. How it's your main identity and. We identify first as Christians. They identify first as a gender pronoun. Their self is the right, idol. Really, it's their... like address me as what I say, and I am what I say. Yeah.
0: And this is what we talked about back in June with the whole homosexual Pride Month. You know, once you start identifying yourself in a sin, um, and you start attaching your own personal pride, and other people are heaping pride on you because of this sin, boy, you really lock yourself in mm-hmm. that cage and it's exactly. got to be really difficult to get out and break free of those sins and those perversions and the more we as a nation just heap praise on these people and lift them up like they're some kind of hero it's very very challenging and unlikely that they're going to just on their own decide you know what nah this was just wrong for me like no I'm, they're idols now right like where's
1: the parents because these are all pretty young like high school to college
0: age well we've seen the parents i mean they're the same ones taking these kids to drag shows i mean the parents were probably supporting this all the way so i wouldn't yeah. doubt that but you know this kind of struck me as odd because you could sit there and go my goodness this girl is crazy nothing's this crazy um and they do that in this article they say essentially that but the truth of this is this is no less crazy than what we already accept in this nation. Like a man yeah. cutting his testicles off and calling himself a woman is just as crazy as this This
1: kind of stuff. Like, I don't know, even 60 years ago, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. But this is the kind of stuff people would get put in men- mental institutions for. Right. We're praising people for being crazy.
0: Right. And you might say, well, the mental institution was abusive and wrong. Yeah, I'm not going to maybe deny that. Maybe maybe it was. Maybe that was a bridge too far. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you shift the Overton window completely to the other side where now it's like, well, if we tell them they're wrong and they have a mental disorder, that's bad. Well, why don't we just tell them they're superheroes and that this is the greatest thing in the world? Like, no, that's a bit wrong. There's a difference
1: between a mental illness and actually being controlled by demons.
0: Right. And I would say this is demonic. Yeah. Um, this is absolutely. De- I mean, especially obviously when you start calling yourself a god, mm-hmm. that is demonic. But yeah, you know, what's funny about all of this, you know, the gender madness and all of that is the only time. And if you guys know a different time, let me know. But the only time I can really remember any pushback on any of this sort of gender fluidity, all of this sort of stuff, or, you know, I- identity, fluidity, whatever you want to call it, was Rachel Dolezal. (laughs) If you guys remember Rachel Dolezal. I don't. I know you don't. I didn't. uh... So she, if you were, well, you may have heard the story. She was a white woman who was pretending to be black. And she was, um, I believe she was like the president of a chapter, the NAACP in Washington state, which is like, you know, the national advancement of colored people. Yeah, I was like, what does that stand for? So it's for minority people. And she was a a white girl as a president. And then it came out ultimately that she was white and pretending to be black.
1: I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah, And
0: she wound up getting fired from her job. Apparently, I read a quick little bio on her and her life's really fallen apart since then. So Mm. that's not great. But like, you can pretend to be a man. You can pretend to be a woman. You can pretend to be an animal. You know, we saw that in what is a woman you can now claim to be a god. But somehow, if you pretend to be black, just a bridge too far, nobody is putting up with that. Can't touch
1: that. (laughs) Like,
0: Rachel Dolezal is probably sitting there like, what happened? I know. Like, we got men dressed up as women that are four-star admirals in the United States. And she's like, I just wore, like, cornrows and told people I was black because I kind of looked black. Not good enough. So maybe the solution to this... The whole national depravity, you know, I, just a thought, you know, is you get like an overwhelming number of white Christian male Trump voters that just claim they're black females, like LGBTQ members, and just try to force the system to accept it. Like you might just break the system that way because um, <laughs> there's no way they'd stand for it. And, um, you know, that, that could be an option, right? Force their hand.
1: Play their game. Now, yeah. of
0: course, we as good Christian godly men and women here on religionless Christianity would never condone such a thing right. or advocate for such a thing. Yeah. Christians should stand for the truth and all that. Just an idea. Just a thought. It's just so, a
1: funny thought.
0: I um know. yeah, definitely some craziness there. So probably the biggest story of the week though. Came uh, from the White House. So I'm sure you guys have heard about this, but President Biden, and uh, he's announced, as you can see up there, student loan um, debt forgiveness. If you want to read just those two paragraphs.
1: President Joe Biden's student loan plan is a potential game changer for Americans drowning in debt. And yet the impact on the economy at large is likely to be so tiny that it will be hard to measure. Biden announced Wednesday that his administration will forgive $10,000 for borrowers who make less than $125,000 per year. Low-income borrowers who went to college on Pell Grants will, re- will receive up to $20,000 in student loan forgiveness.
0: Yep. So that was kind of the big story of the week there. Um, it's got everybody all hot and bothered, but the two things that I just wanted to point out here um, is first, try not to work yourself into a frenzy over this. Um, there's at least talks that I've heard that this is unconstitutional, and you know even Nancy Pelosi previously, though she seems to have changed her tune, um, she had made note that this was unconstitutional, that it had to be passed by Congress, so. Um, If this bothers you, I would say just wait and see what happens with this. Um, But then secondly, and I can't help but see this as really anything, you know, more than just an attempt by our anti-Christ overlords to really drive a wedge between us, you know, as citizens, because $10,000, while it's a lot of money to some, really isn't that much in the scheme of student loans. Um, and I've seen differing reports on this when I looked, but you know, the average school loan debt per student is like somewhere around like twenty eight to thirty to forty thousand dollars, you know, per student. So um, it's a it, a little chunk of change there, but um it's not world changing, I guess. so but um, but the damage that this causes, really by, you know, driving, Americans to despise Americans. That's going to be the far more devastating, um, I guess, casualty here of this ten thousand dollar loan forgiveness. Um, and in my opinion, you know, it's just a power play. It's divide and conquer. So we as Christians, um, you know, we have to be conscientious of that, um, and we really have to fight against that in our own hearts. You know, not mm-hmm. to let this bother us un, you know, unduly. I guess Um, because $10,000 student loan forgiveness, you know, that's not really the biggest problem. I think, you know, with this whole, really student loan payoff thing, I mean, our education system in America is a problem. Uh, I was an Air Force recruiter for a few years. And it's almost like kids are indoctrinated into this mentality. You know, it's like, You go to high school, go to college, get a career. It's like, that is what you do if you want to be successful in America. And the kids are taught it from a very early age. You know, basically, as soon as you start going to school, it's, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, what school do you want to go to? And then you get into middle school and into high school, and it just starts ramping up. This is what they're programmed for. And I would go to these schools as a recruiter and ask kids like, hey, what are your plans after high school? Well, I'm going to, you know, University of Washington. Like, cool, man. What do you want to do? And they're like, ah, I'm not really sure. Like, like why are you doing That's a lot of money to sort of figure it out, right? But that it's just, it was ingrained in them, right? I they know. couldn't. Who knows
1: this ahead of time?
0: Well, I mean, the schools know it ahead of time. They and they're know. banking on you, not really being sure, right? Um, yeah. But it's hard to combat that almost like a decade worth of indoctrination, right? Um, so, while again, each person is guilty or responsible, if you will, for their own decisions. Mm -hmm. They have been victims in a sense, um, you know, to this whole predatory education system that really does their best to convince kids that like, if you want to be successful, you have to go to college after high school. You've got to basically get a bachelor's degree. That's the new diploma, right? It's what everyone's told. Um, You have to have it to be competitive Even though the truth of it is, most people have no idea what they really want to be when they're 18 to 22 years old.
1: And teaching kids to be content, everybody, I mean, especially when they get in the military, how many people you notice they go in debt buying expensive vehicles when you know they can't afford it?
0: Oh, I mean, everybody, everybody, enlisted and officer alike, everybody does that. But- you know, even then, you know, and that's what I would tell people as a recruiter, like, hey, man, just give yourselves a few years. Like, you may think right now, hey, I want to be a structural engineer, or whatever happens to be. You may get in the Air Force and be like, yeah, I really like flying. Maybe I want to be a pilot. Well, it would stink to go and get $80,000 worth of school loans and being an engineer and then realize, I don't want to be an engineer. I don't like it. I want to be a pilot. You know, so I would tell them, give yourselves a few years to, I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to be until yesterday, (laughs) like 18 years old. So I do think, again, they're guilty and they're victims at the same time, I think. And, you know, the real enemy much like so much in our country is sort of the perverse exploitive system and those Mm -hmm. who run it. Yeah. Um, I looked up a, just a chart on USA today, sort of college tuition it just went back to 1971. And this was only up to 2018. So it's probably gone up since then. But the cost of a public university tuition in 1971 was $1,410 per year. So even adjusted for inflation, that's only $8,700 per year is what it would cost. As of 2018, the public university tuition is $21,370 per year. So again, even adjusting for inflation, that's basically a, almost a 300% increase in school tuition. Wow. So we're all basically victims of this because you're being told on one hand, you have to go to school if you want to be successful. Any career that you want now, they pretty much want you to have a bachelor's degree. And you know, like if you want to be a teacher in America, you know, the average school teacher salary nationwide is like $40,000 a year. So you got to basically go and take almost $60,000 worth of school loans so you can go get a $40,000 a year job. Like, is that the real American dream that we were sold? Like, it's just crazy. So Thinking
1: about how many years it would take to pay that back.
0: It takes And
1: you're like, and in that time, I'm going to have a couple kids before that's paid off. And I don't know, I just think for women especially, so many women get into these careers and they have kids and they... I think, I want to be home with my kid. I don't want my kid to be in daycare. It is like, <laughs>
0: it's crazy. No, it's a, it's it a is. nightmare. It's getting and your
1: kid into a system super early. And you got to keep that career. That career is your identity.
0: Well, and that's the problem. And again, <sighs> from my conspiratorial brain here, right? Like that's what they're banking on. Yeah. Is they get you hooked in here into these debt and into this career mindset. And now you really can't walk away. You know, me and Nikki were just talking about it. You know, if you want to talk about sort of Satan having his hands, you know, involved in the country here, right? Like, they've almost steered America into a place where you have to have a two income family, if you really want to enjoy, you know, expect, you know, where we're living down here. I mean, it's almost impossible to really buy a decent home on a single income. And I don't make I'm not rich, certainly, but I make a decent living in the Air Force after 17 years. But like, not, not down here. I mean, you're talking like a two bedroom house, you know, so they're almost making you go down this route. But then yeah, they, and I've heard plenty of studies and a lot smarter people than myself talk about how, you know, they're specifically trying to drive us into a debt culture, they're doing their best to get you into a debt lifestyle early on, then they can keep you in that debt lifestyle. Because once you get in, it's really hard to get out. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, you take on $60,000 worth of school loans. But now you're paying that back at three, four, five hundred $500 a month, whatever it is. Well, now you don't really have because again, you're that $40,000 a year teacher. Well, that $500 a month is what you would have probably used to get a car. So now you got to go get a car loan and extend that out for six or seven years. So you can afford that. And like, now you don't have the money to get your groceries because you're paying seven, $800 a month on car in college. So you got to get a credit card and it's like this, you yeah. know, this snowball and it's, I can't help, but assume that it's planned. Right. So again, doesn't mean it's right, but I'm saying, you know, Try not to pull your hair out, thinking these you know these darn millennials are getting out scot free like and nobody's making it out of this place scot free as wicked as our nations mm-hmm. become, so um yeah, just you know hold uh I guess hold yourself for a little bit, see how this plays out, but then again, just realize we're all basically victims in this predatory environment we live in, and pray that the Lord breaks and humbles. Those who are uh, leading us into this perverse uh, and exploitive system that we live in.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, as Christians, is what we should do. So the last two news stories that I just want to touch on here before we get into our Bible topic, they were just more uh, reminders that do not believe what you read on the internet, especially when it's coming from the godless left. So you guys may have seen this going around, you know, uh, this little facebook or twitter post about the florida banned books list Um, it might have come out in different variations but there were things like 1984 was on there you know to kill a mockingbird and people were all in uproar oh ron DeSantis, that fascist pig how dare him you know the liberals were pulling their hair out you know we even had family blasting us with this and like with everything you're like there's no way this is true right There's no way that Ron DeSantis is banning 1984. He realizes we're living in 1984. Right. He's aware. (laughs) Um, But like everything, you know, give it a little bit of time. That's what this story says. It comes out here. Oh, the uh, the teachers union president who um, who posted that. Yeah, it was wrong. It was fabricated, made up but it got its job done, right? Got everybody worked up, got everybody freaking out about Florida and these fascist dictators down here. So
1: it's so ridiculous.
0: And the second story was just like this, kind of came right on its heels. I think Thursday it sort of broke and you may have seen it. It was Ben Shapiro. You know, he came out and he made a tweet about, you know, here's an idea, you know, maybe people that take out loans should pay them out or pay them off on their own. And then somebody, responded to his tweet and it was something like, oh, you know, here's Ben. It was like a Ben Shapiro sort of school loan document that showed that Ben Shapiro owed $20,000 in school loans and he had like um, $21,000 forgiven or something to that effect. People were like, oh, is this uh, same Ben Shapiro basically saying he's a hypocrite? Um, which don't really care about Ben Shapiro too much right here. But it came out that this was just another dude named Ben Shapiro. No. And Ben Shapiro responded, was like, why don't you do your homework? Like, that's not my school oh. loan. It's just another. So they put some dude named Ben Shapiro on blast. And he owed 20 grand school loans. But again, it's just two good reminders. We've told you guys over and over and over again, do not believe the godless left whatever they're saying, if your standard is, I'm going to assume they're lying, you're going to be right 90% of the time. You know, a broke clock's right twice a day, they always say. So yeah, the godless left may stumble <laughs> into the truth accidentally. But whenever you see stuff like this, the Florida banned books list, just go, <laughs> there's no way that's true. I know. And you're most likely correct, right? So I just thought those were two funny stories that Uh, It's kind of interesting they came out in the same day. Oh, look at this Ben Shapiro, this rat bum owes money. And some dude's like, where'd they get my school loan information? I'm trying to pay it off. (laughs) Like poor old Ben Shapiro. Um, But yeah, just with all this stuff, man, give it time. You know, the left will prove that they're lying. President Biden, the school loan forgiveness may not go through, but if it does you know, try not to hate anybody. We're all getting raked over the coals financially here. Um, so just because somebody not, might not be getting raked as hard as you did. I don't know, don't let that be a reason to burn bridges or ruin friendships or, you know, anything like that, you know, yeah, that would be my advice here. So do you have anything on these stories before we dive into our Bible topic? Nope. righty then <laughs> Bible topic. So Um, as we mentioned, we were going to talk about youth ministry. We may get to that eventually, but you know, the world keeps moving and these old stories just become old pretty fast. And, um, I saw this story here on Christian broadcast network news, I think is what it's called. Um, do you want to read that headline, honey?
1: Revival or we die why America needs another great awakening.
0: Yep. Yep. And we can just read these two paragraphs here.
1: From the nation's capital to the harvest fields in the Midwest, Christians have been crying out to God for spiritual renewal in America. Some believe the nation sits on the brink of collapse, with the only hope being a visitation of God's power and presence. Revival or we die, Dr. Michael Brown told CBN News. That's where we have to get. You have to get to a place where you can't live any longer without visitation. It could be personal, personal revival, where you know there must be a breakthrough.
0: So I think I've heard of Dr. Michael Brown. I think is what his name was. I think he Mm -hmm. writes for the Christian Post. I think he's like an opinion writer. Something for the Christian Post. Could be a different guy, but um, yeah, you know, like I'm not a scholar on great awakenings in this country or around the world and um, you know awakening may not even be a word that's that you like it might not be the right word Um, you know you might not be comfortable with it you know maybe something like spiritual resurgence um, revival
1: everybody's in such a deep sleep just like a little awakening or is it a shaking (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it feels like a like, great awakening is something just that's needed. awaken
1: somebody that easy. And it's like we're so like who's getting awakened? Like what is it going to take? What is this revival? Can you really compare what we need today with revivals or awakenings in the past?
0: No, and, and that's why this story stuck out so much to me. Um, because you know, whatever words you want to use for it—resurgence, revival, awakening, or something different—I um, think the sense is the same. You know, like we aren't going to be electing ourselves out of this mess. No. And that's what gets me so frustrated is to see men and women who profess faith in Christ, but like all their hopes and all their fears are tied up in election cycles every mm-hmm. four years, and that's such foolishness. Like. Both parties have contributed to us getting to where we are today.
1: Is that going to help these genderless TikTokers?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is is the right political party in office going to help her realize she's not a god?
1: No, God is going to take that. Yeah.
0: We're fighting demonic forces here. Um, So, yeah, I think the church here needs a spiritual awakening in many respects. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the church and the individual believers that are really holding this nation back um, or holding the nation Mm -hmm. from having a great awakening back. It's really the The, believer. The
1: church can have an impact. I don't think we're going to take a whole nation. I don't think that's possible. I don't think that's in the Bible, but I do think that looking at our nation, we contribute to society like we definitely can make it better or worse but just like you can make your neighborhood better or worse you know all of us collectively can have little impact but what the churches need to do is people need to just go read revelation i think it's chapter two and three about the angel over the seven churches and just read through those and the things um God has against them, the things he commends them for, but he has things against them. And I think we can always be reading that and checking ourselves, our individual selves, because I read that and I'm convicted on pretty much all, all of them. I think there's two of them that don't get correction, but.
0: No, I mean, we definitely need to. And yeah, I'm not saying here that we're going to win this nation and we're no. going to look like new Jerusalems come down. No, but that's a. That doesn't mean that we have to be in the lowest pit of hell where we're like dragging our kids to every children's hospital to get their testicles cut off. And then well,
1: we've said that verse before. Like if you know to do good and don't do it, like you're just as bad as an unbeliever. Remember the scripture. But you know what I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, I think we have
1: opportunity to do good.
0: No, and that's what we you know. So the idea even too, I guess, of a great awakening, because I, you know, again, I'm not a scholar on great awakenings, but there have been great awakenings that they've talked about in America and around the world at different times. And it doesn't mean that wherever this great awakening took, you know, it was just heaven on earth, but it was a spiritually minded country sort of Mm -hmm. that wasn't living in the most depraved you know, inhuman, satanic circumstances. It wasn't this bad. Yeah, where it's, and again, you know, yeah. So that's what I'm kind of thinking about here with this idea of a great awakening. Again, it's not that we're New Jerusalem. It's it's not this. And maybe we're so low in the pit of hell that even to have a great awakening just gets us back to the gate, you know, to get out of hell. I mean, who knows, right? But. um I do think, like you said, I mean, reading those churches and seeing that it's like the apathetic church, um,
1: the tolerance,
0: the tolerance that's like really get tolerate it to grow. Jezebel
1: for one, sexual immorality is named in two or three of the churches at least. And I know that that's a big one.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, for it's sure. Today. Um, do you want to read this paragraph here?
1: It says, America's being torn apart by the seams, explained Brown, and we've seen that there are no political solutions, there are no social solutions, and the church itself has become impotent. We're at a crisis crisis point in American history where without divine visitation, America as we know it could come to an end or could be so marred that the world our kids grow up in will be very, very different.
0: Yeah, and yeah, I mean, this that. is essentially what we've been saying on this show for a year and a half, right? Basically summed up in a few sentences. It's, you know, the problem with the church is it's like we're almost that snake eating its own tail, right? <laughs> like yeah. um, like you said, we've become impotent in so many respects here, um, and it's a travesty.
1: Yeah, I think the goal isn't to save America. That's not the end goal Um, because that this is putting the health of a nation before caring about the spiritual health of individuals. Like we want people to turn to God. So American, like, do we want people to turn to God just just so America can be blessed? That's that's not what we want. That's not the reason. That's not the end goal. We don't we don't really need to see the health of the church by looking at the nation, though. Like I said before, like we could be partly to blame because we're all collectively, you know, we have our part. But what I'm realizing, what is really happening, what I think is happening today with all the wickedness is that God is separating sheep and goats. And I think it's just becoming more obvious. And it's because no one, no one's ashamed to reveal their wickedness. Like people used to at least have shame, at least unbelievers, atheists would still be ashamed of sin, you know, but we see our nation um, as falling apart because I just think maybe God has given people over. I don't know. I I have friends who think the same thing. Like, like what is happening? And then so quickly, and it, it is shocking. I feel like I know it's been gradual, but it seems sudden at the same time. Does it to you, or maybe it's because we just, I don't know, know—we're well, busy just seems with life, the but the
0: speed of it is the, so fast. The wickedness
1: that. is just like, yeah, like ramping up and then no shame in it. But
0: we don't. Well, and people said that for, you know, going back to, I remember in 2008, right? And Barack Obama gets elected. And then I think 2013 is when they sort of legalized gay marriage. And I remember people at the time saying that this is a Trojan horse, like this is going to be opening mm. the doors to all sorts of wickedness and maybe you can see that acceleration from 2013 to now where it seems like it's been sudden when in reality that's almost 9 years ago right now but um yeah. Yeah, I mean a lot has
1: been yeah, just put out in the open with no shame and I don't think that we have more lost people today like it seems like I think we can just see all clearly like who is lost because they're not ashamed of their sin. And there'll be, of course, be more, more darkness running rampant. But at the same time, we are seeing those who do fear God who really are Christians. I've had, you know, we've known Christians for a while, but then we, the years go by and we're seeing, okay, these Christians over here, When we were all younger, you know, everybody was a Christian, you know, in church. And I have friends who are Christians who've gone completely off the path. And I have those who've gone closer to God. Like there is a separation. Even in the church, they're either not fearing God at all, just denying him or they're like, no, I fear him more now than ever, but I love him more.
0: No, I think and that's why it's become so important you know, for us, but I think for a lot of people that are sensing this, right, is to sort of determine what we believe. You know, we've Mm -hmm. talked about this before. What do you believe? Where's your line? Um, To not just sort of be the type of Christians as we've always, you know, Mm -hmm. been, um, but really kind of nug down into those certain uh, or make certain really what we believe and, you know, where we stand. And that's what we're working on a lot. I mean, You know, we've talked Mm -hmm. about that a lot on this show, but also we need to really, and that's, I think what he talks about when we're this impotent church, like we really need to start pushing back where we see error. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's definitely hard, but it's becoming more necessary. And where you said, you know, it seems like God's separating the sheep and the goats. And certainly it seems like that, but it seems like there's a lot of, you know, sheep that are reaching back, trying to hold on to goats or drag goats with them. Rather than just letting the separation take place. And it's like.
1: We can plead with people, try to reason with them. But there's a point. What was the scripture we were talking about at church before? Where he says, I do not say. Pray for them. Like. Maybe we can, I don't know, discuss that another time. But there's a point where you're like. They've walked away.
0: Right. I think John mentions in first John, maybe, you know, certain sins where he's like, don't even pray for them. Um, yeah, I I mean, who knows what that sin, he doesn't identify what that sin is necessarily, but I mean, it should be a certain point where we are more concerned about pleasing God and standing with Christ than the people here on this earth around us. Like at some point, yeah, I mean, we certainly want to outreach and evangelize and do all of that, but boy, I guess that's, I mean, at some point you're going to have to realize like, man, we're so far apart that like even to mingle in the mix here, like is dragging me down. We need to just start. And really, I mean, we're supposed to be defining those lines so that they see something different in us that hopefully spurs them to desire something higher and something better. Yeah,
1: They need to see the
0: difference. Yeah, they do. So he goes on in here. um, He says, I believe America recognizes that politics cannot save her. Um, This other gentleman in the article, Becker Said in an interview with the CBN News, Ide- or ideology cannot save her. Social change cannot save her. Only the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Um, and again, you know, we sort of touched on this same idea really last week um, in an article that we looked at from Lifeway Research, and they were kind of saying the same thing in that article. And again, this is why we wanted to re. Uh, attack this idea of the seeker-sensitive and sort of the watered-down Christian church in America, Um, because the world is seeing a problem of sin, um, and that does provide a great opportunity for the church to step in and fill that gap, but the problem is that the church for decades has rejected preaching against sin, you know, so it's unlikely, really, Mm -hmm. without some sort of great awakening, again, that is going to change. You know, they built their church, you know, models and their church, I guess, growth plans and everything like that on avoiding sin and making Mm -hmm. people comfortable, which is odd because that's the very same idol that all those pastors are now identifying within their church congregations is they're all worshiping the idolatry of comfort. So um, it's pretty shocking, but that's the sort of problem that we're running into. And that's why I think as the guy says, a great awakening is really what's needed. Um, so, you know, again, we said it last week and we'll probably keep saying it, you know, that the biggest problem ailing this nation is not the godless political left, it's not the worthless political right, it's not even necessarily the Antichrist leaders that are spread out through all our industries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's as this article described it, it's the impotent church. Um, you know, we looked at just one of the aspects last week with the seeker-sensitive um, church model, but there's others as well. You know, we all know these other churches that are just so, like, bogged down in false doctrine, false teaching, that they can't even really see the light of the gospel.
1: Well, what is that, 6% still have biblical worldview? Yeah. And that's among Christians?
0: That's among there's... all Americans. Oh, so... All
1: Americans, though. But,
0: but I mean, 60% per 60% I mean, of Americans <laughs> claim to be Christian, but only six I, of us have worldviews. I could
1: say among Christians, though, because there's a lot of Christians that don't have a biblical worldview. Right. I don't think that's you can I be a like, true
0: Christian without a biblical worldview. That doesn't make sense.
1: To it me. might be the same number. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but this, uh, this fellow Becker goes on here. Uh, let me see. He says, um, Revival throughout the history of the church is always a sovereign move of God. It says no man can, in essence, make it happen. It is supernatural, and so what we desperately need to do is cry out to God. That's what Psalms eighty-five says: "Revive us, O Lord." Um, and he says, "Secondly, to search our hearts to allow the Holy Spirit to search, er, mm-hmm. to search our heart, hearts to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts." Mm-hmm. Um, and this is most certainly true. Uh, but again, another problem is I think a lot of Christians see this as sort of a non-substantive solution, really, you know, basically crying out to God won't get us anywhere. And really, I mean, that's exactly why our nation is plummeting off the cliff. I think we view prayer as sort of this secondary or tertiary option in our Christian walk. Um, I actually heard on a podcast earlier this week a listener wrote in. So the host was just reading this note and the guy wrote in and he said, I don't see uh, how there is anything we can do, but live faithfully and pray. And he was, you know, of course, speaking of this desperate state of the nation and that we had no hope. So his solution was really just live faithfully and pray basically while the country burns down around us. But what I imagined that this fella, um, Fails to really see is that if only this nation would live faithfully and pray, like that would be what turns the tide of this nation. Um, Like that's what's going to save this nation ultimately. But this gentleman, and I fear that too many probably feel this way um, that living faithfully and just praying is what we do when we've lost. Like Mm -hmm. that's their mentality. And we're really just sort of holding on till Jesus comes back. Mm -hmm. But if every nation in this, or if every Christian in this nation, you know, would live faithfully and pray, and we'd revolutionize the nation, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking of Paul, you know, it was what Paul and like a hundred or some people, right? Conquered the Roman empire for Christ. Um, So I just think we're confused. You know, I think... We think that the game plan for winning is actually the game plan for losing. You know, we've got them confused here. And I think, again, that's why the nation's in trouble. We view a life of faithfulness to God and prayer is like, well, I guess there's nothing else to do. Let's just be faithful and pray and wait till the Lord comes back.
1: Like you're a Christian, but you are an American and God has given you... um certain powers as a citizen. Those are gifts from God's too. It is a gift of God to be here in this nation, not for your own sake, but for blessing others around you. So I think that's just very cowardice
0: and... Well, it's certainly cowardice. I mean, all of this is probably, I mean, the whole seeker sensitive, I would imagine built largely on you know, I guess, a desire for church growth, but also cowardice. It's just easier if you make everything super comfortable for people. You don't have to actually like, I don't know, go out of your way to like deal with disagreements and arguments and all that sort of uncomfortable stuff. The
1: uncomfortable, yeah. Um,
0: but if you guys remember that article that we touched on last week, um, here from Lifeway Research, where he talked about the popularity of sin gives the opportunity to proclaim the truth. And he says, even non-believers are sensing the absurdity of sin. People are longing for the sound of biblical um, truth spoken clearly. And then down here, he says, knowing this history, we can understand why churches have shied away from addressing the more sensitive and culturally volatile sin issues of the day. Years ago, there was less of a need to focus on specific sin issues. Because most of society shared a consensus about moral standards of right versus wrong. But with passing time, the culture changed, and what people once widely accepted as sin, they now just accept. And boy, this is just flat. This is just absolutely wrong. Um, like, waiting until a crisis is upon you is the wrong time to prepare. Like, you don't wait until your roof's collapsing in on you to go, guess it's time to start putting a little <laughs> money away. No, you've (laughs) missed the boat, right? You need an emergency fund. Um, So we're reaping what we've been sowing for many years.
1: What have we sown? Just
0: apathy towards sin. Yeah. You know, is what I think. We've just allowed it.
1: And
0: these churches just, you know, apathy towards sin and growth at all costs. That's what matters, right? Pastors are celebrities and CEOs before shepherds. I mean, we talked about Rick Warren. Well, when we looked at his replacement, this Andy North guy, I think, or Andy Woods. Woods. And the reason that he was selected, first and foremost, was his ability for church growth. That's his number one qualifier because he's a CEO that's great at marketing. Like, you might as well have just said it in those terms, right?
1: I mean, the Apostle Paul he even said, like, he wasn't great at speaking. There was nothing about his speech that would draw people in. But that's exactly what people are doing today in churches.
0: Yeah. Like you're going to draw the
1: crowds in, but you start preaching the truth, they're going to leave.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's the whole reason why the culture's changed Um, because we're allowing um, sinfulness. Uh, We're allowing the satanic to speak louder and more brazen, you know, and to be louder and more brazen in their thoughts and beliefs than the so-called Christians. I mean, if Christians
1: are condoning sins, I mean, the general public, I think they do look to Christians for morality. And when they see Christians have lowered the bar of morality, they're like, okay, well, we can go a little further then. If they condone that, then we're not that bad and we can do a little more sinful things. I think we are held responsible to a certain point. Like,
0: Well, right. And this is the whole, I mean, we didn't even really touch on this back in the Pride Month stuff when people are all wringing their hands out about all these, you know, men and women, they're dressed in these tiny, you know, whatever they're wearing and they're shaking their butts in these little kids' faces and at the parades. And you're like, yeah, walk down any beach or water park in the country and you'll see your mom dressed exactly the same but somehow they're supposed to be more modest than you are.
1: That is funny.
0: The way the, the gay and LGBTQ movements like dress and do all, it's no different than the way we do. I mean, my God, we live down here in the Emerald Coast. Every day you go to the beach is a pride parade, basically.
1: People are pri- proud of their bodies, whether you're... It's, it's pride. That's all yeah, it so is. So you, you can't sit there and go... And gay pride isn't worse than... This other pride here, you're still flaunting your sexuality.
0: And they're learning it from us. I mean, if yeah. we're the ones that set the moral standard and they go, oh, well, women can just wear you know, a piece of dental floss to the beach and no one seems to have a problem with that. I guess I can too, you right? You can't
1: judge them. You, know? you can't judge women. That's uh, our
0: culture. Well, and how do you judge anybody when you do it yourself? That's when you get into the Christians are hypocrites because we don't live by the lifestyle that we should be living by, um, setting that positive example. Um, But yeah, I mean, we've raised a generation of cowardly Christians, really. Um, They're not going to stand, you know, they wouldn't stand necessarily, even if they had to. Um, And I don't think they can really without a move of the Holy Spirit. So again, going back to this idea of a great awakening or a revival, if you will, is probably what's going to be needed. Okay,
1: but how does a revival happen? Like, it's not just like, I think it's the word of God. I think that's got to be the focus. Like, we, I think you were going to touch on that. The word of God is how revival happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, in the Old Testament times, right, it would be a prophet that gets raised up and he leads people or God's people. You know, back to God, to remembering God's commands and following His laws, reminding
1: people what God has already said, what God has already done. It's the same thing today. It's not something new. God's not going to say something new and fresh, like everybody. No, we're not needing to think
0: anything new here. We can't even obey the old commands. Like, (laughs) well, Scripture is always—it's always about looking back, go back, return from where you can. I mean, it's all about returning. So, I mean, we've talked on here before. Anytime you hear something, this is a new move or a, you know, reimagining. A or move of God. You run in like, the other direction, right? Um, yeah. We should constantly be looking back. And it is going to come from the Word of God. and um, But it's going to come from a true and authentic preaching of the Word of God, sort of an unafraid preaching of the Word of God. And yeah, um, we were reading through the book of Acts, you know, in our Bible study back here. and. I was struck, especially when we were putting this together by Paul's boldness, Um, just really like his desire to speak the truth. And that's kind of what we need to get back to Um, really, you know, out in the open for all to hear, not in locked in his congregation with everyone that knows and loves him on a Sunday morning. You know, if you go back to Acts chapter 21, you know, we read of Paul being accused in the temple. You know, and he was dragged out of the temple, beaten by the people, had to be saved and rescued in verses 30 and 32. But then he's getting drug off to the jail. And he asked the soldiers and the centurions before they put him in jail, if he can go and address the crowd that just got done beating him almost to death. So they let him go and address the crowd, you know, and it's like, it's that same crowd that was just beating up on him, um, trying to kill him. And it's not just courageous. I mean, of course, Paul was courageous, but I can't help but think that this was love, right? That Paul would do this for. Mm. It was love for Christ, but it was love for his brethren as well, right? That sort of compelled him to speak because Paul loved his countrymen. And I think we need to love our countrymen enough to be bold mm-hmm. enough to go and rattle their cage. I um, and again, I'm not... Paul, you know, I pray every day that I'll be Paul, Paul's teachers and hair. but I mean, they get attacked all the time, you know, that some of their harshest criticism comes from so-called brothers and sisters in the faith. So you got to expect that, but you can't shy away and you can't be, you know, knocked off your um, mission, I guess, because somebody speaks harshly. Paul's being beaten, but out of love and compassion, not just for Christ, but for them. I mean, he wanted to see the Jews accept Jesus. Um, he goes back and speaks, you know, and we see this other times, right? He gets beaten in stone and walks back into the city, right? Um, a desire to speak the truth, and whatever happens, happens, right?
1: I know, like, you care. We care more about people think of us. Like, can you imagine if people, like, physically hurt you? <laughs>
0: Yeah, and I mean, no one's going to physically hurt us today. I mean, it may get there. But again, we're talking about churches that, by and large, are so afraid of confrontation that they won't even really address sin. Odds that they're going to get out and you are pretty slim. But maybe that'd be a good thing. If you actually got one of these, like, seeker-sensitive churches so worked up they punched you, you'd be like, yeah, come alive, dude. Let's do this. Like got your blood flowing that's what i'm talking about you know it might even be a good thing so um but you go to uh first corinthians um chapter 10 verses one through six and see what paul says there he says uh, he says i paul myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of christ I who am humble when face-to-face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. I do love the way Paul sort of, uh, you know, takes it to people, even in his writings. I think
1: that's how we are, though. We're more bold, like online, talking with somebody than face-to-face. We're like, I love them so much.
0: (laughs) Well, in here with Paul, they were wrong. They assumed he was sort of cowardly face-to-face, and that's what he's addressing. He's like, oh, but I'm a bold when I'm away from you, Right. And then he says in, chat, or in verse two, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show you boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect, of, or suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but, a, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, Mm. being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And, you know, I've pulled this verse out because we're in a spiritual battle. I don't know how anybody can not see that, that we're in a time of intense spiritual warfare. Again, we talked about this. He mentioned it here, right? Um, We're not going to elect our way out of this. This has to be a move of God. Mm -hmm. That's spiritual warfare that we're in. we need to
1: recognize that. We can't say, God, elect this person. We have to say, God, turn our hearts
0: toward you. No, because we're not even courageous enough to ask God to elect the right person. Lord, help him. Oh, but he's mean. Get him out of here, Lord. Like, yeah, we want, you know... Rick Warren is going to go stand face to face with Vladimir Putin and President Xi. Anywho, but, you know, so looking at what Paul says, like, how do you tear down strongholds if we're in a spiritual battle? You know, how do you wage spiritual warfare when you conceal the truth? When you withhold the truth from people, you can't wage spiritual warfare. Um, You're letting the the enemy off easy because spiritual warfare isn't some... Mystical, you know, strange martial art type thing, you know, that needs Holy Spirit power flowing out of you like Doctor Strange. That's not what spiritual warfare is. No, uh, spiritual warfare is like Paul says, tearing down arguments. It's standing on the word of truth. That is our warfare. Mm-hmm. We take the word of truth. We tear down false arguments, yeah. false doctrine, false beliefs with the word of God. So if you're concealing any part of that, holding it back for the sake of church growth, for comfortableness, for then how do you wage effective spiritual warfare?
1: Well, I think fighting in the flesh is that mindset of, God, just elect this person. You're asking God to do things that aren't affecting hearts. Like you're ask, asking him to just make the country a little bit better. That's, that's waging war in the flesh. But like what you just read here, waging spiritual spiritual warfare is arguing the truth with people face to face. It's not just prayer. It's not just getting in your prayer closet.
0: No, I mean, it's confrontation. every, Every message the apostles gave, right? Like they would walk into the temple. We're here for a confrontation, basically. Like they were spiritual
1: warfare they were doing right there. Yeah,
0: they were going to attack the truth Um, because you (sighs) can't win a fight when you discard your weapons, Um, and that's what the seeker-sensitive church and some of these other false churches have done in America. Mm -hmm. Rather than fight the battle, they've told their members to find some, you know, extra uniforms from the enemy and put (laughs) them on, and then they might just leave you alone, right? Like. You You don't win a battle that way
1: and and love them. And you might win the enemy with
0: kindness by looking just like them.
1: That's not spiritual warfare. And I, I think that people in church hide behind, I'm not all people. I'm not saying all people in church, but I think we've been taught to like hide behind the veil of prayer, spiritual warfare. You know, like we think we're doing something just, just through prayer and asking God to fight all these battles. And we're asking him, like I said, to fight it in the f- way of the flesh, what we're asking, you know, like... Right, God- we're
0: the body of Christ in the earth. So if you're asking him to make a move in the earth, it's going to come through his people.
1: You need to ask him, make me bold to proclaim the truth, confront people in my life, my personal life. It could be family member, you are... Combating spiritual forces when you confront face-to-face with people God has put in your life who believe lies. Don't just simply go in your prayer closet and ask God to change their heart, but then you're too much of a coward to actually speak the truth to them. Because God may have prepared their heart for you to speak the truth, but then you're too much of a coward. I mean, me too. I keep saying you, you, you. This is me
0: too. Well, and we want to make clear, like, it needs to start and end in your prayer closet. That is absolutely a vital, vital... Yes, imp- I'm not
1: saying don't pray. in
0: the prayer closet or wherever you pray, right? Build up your spirit, build up your spirit, ask for wisdom. Yeah. But then you take it out and you deliver it. And then you come back and ask the Holy Spirit to continue to work while you're gone. Can, like, that's sort of the, maybe, and again, we're just laymen here, but that's sort of the spiritual warfare sandwich You know Mm -hmm. the two pieces of bread are prayer, but then the meat is get out there and do it. Meet someone, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about something. And And
1: God's not telling you after you do all that warfare and your prayer just to go and be nice to them. Like that's not. I know people take this out of context. The scripture, like the kindness of God, will lead them to repentance. But they're not talking about your kindness. That's talking about the kindness of God. Like you being kind and tolerant of people's sin is not going to lead them to repentance. You need to preach the truth to them. But the seeker-friendly church, people who follow along with that teaching, they'll just tell you you're being self-righteous by confronting people about their sin. Because, you know, how dare you judge another person? You got a plank in your eye. But scripture says, judgment starts with the house of God. And we need to be judging one another. We're called to judge one another. We've talked about this before. We need to warn our brothers and sisters, or they're just as lost as an unbeliever. Like I was telling you earlier, like there's going to be unbelievers in hell. And there's going to be believers because there's going to be people who believe the gospel, but they hate Jesus. Like demons believe and tremble. There's going to be people on that day, Lord, Lord, you know, they believe, but they denied him by their works of unrighteousness. They believed the gospel, but they loved sin more. So even though you have friends who are believers, but they're caught in sin, they can still end up in hell because they've loved their sin more than Christ. Like simply just believing the gospel and then... That's lukewarmness. That's describing the lukewarm church right there.
0: Well, that's why we talked again so much about the dangers of Pride Month, right? Telling someone like you're you're sinning, but pride, attaching pride to a sin, the pride's the nefarious part. I mean, homosexuality is a sin just like drunkenness or whatever. They're literally lumped together in the same verses saying they'll be, you know, out of the kingdom of God. But it's that pride in one that leads them to a place where they have no reason to repent Mm -hmm. where it's unlikely to find someone that's a complete and utter drunk. And you're just like, Oh man, that's so cool. Right. You know, you're awesome for being a gutter snipe drunk. It's unlikely. Right. But with the homosexual thing, it's become the identity that pride that really becomes nefarious. And that's the dangerous part. This
1: is the spiritual warfare we need to get involved in and it's uncomfortable. And there's, I mean, even from people, I've heard other believers just say things like, well, you know, when they get to heaven, they'll just be at this level. Levels in heaven, like there's no such thing. That is a a Mormon teaching, I believe, that there's like levels of heaven. That isn't biblical. Don't tell somebody that, oh, you're just, you know, you can't comfort somebody in their sin to say, oh, well, you might just be at this level in heaven. You just won't know a lot. And Yeah, get rid of that way of thinking. And, um, yeah, we're all saved by grace and first will be last. So, yeah, we can't think that some people will have um, prominent seating in God's kingdom because of all the works they did on earth for God, but the humble will. And these churches get caught up in, you know, the signs and wonders and miracles like that's what these churches are known for and they're just that's just another another one that's that category of depart from me you know those who said lord lord but i did all this
0: people won't you know get to heaven that have not lived the most righteous lives of course Mm -hmm. you know we're not anyone to say who will or won't get there but your message in preaching should be that, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, that should be sort of what you're driving them to. You know, we used to have this talk in the military, right? The reason why basic training was so rigid and um, really so hard to get through. and I mean, a lot of times they teach you 90% of the stuff you do in basic training is stuff you'll never do in the real military. But the reason why they would teach you so intensely on this way of doing things is that everybody came in with the same baseline. So that even when you really fell away, most people didn't fall away so far because everybody started at the same starting line, you know, so they would fall away, but you know, they might not get quite as far. Whereas if you let the requirements and stuff slack so much to where, you know, basic training, your road is this narrow, but, Over the course of years, you let things slack and now it's this narrow. Mm. So, before someone might have drifted this far. Now, if they're starting over here, they're going to drift way off into left field, right? So, that should almost be the mentality. I mean, not to mention it's the word of God, but like we need to teach a very biblically sound, biblically accurate, you know, gospel of Jesus type gospel. um, And That way, when people do, you know, wander or stumble off the narrow path, they're not so far off that it's almost impossible for them to get back. Right. And I think that's the problem is that people are starting their faith journey, basically off the narrow path. Mm -hmm. And then they're just wandering further, right? rather than us making sure everybody's starting. And again, we're not saying we've got all the answers here. We're just trying to identify what we see as problems. Usually
1: when people give advice, happens to me a lot. And I'm like, yeah, I need to listen to that advice too. That was also for me.
0: <laughs> well, right. I mean, we're <laughs> not the role models for people to be following necessarily. We're praying that someday we will be. But again, we're all disciples of Jesus. Everybody's looking and trying to figure out how to be more like Jesus. But, you know, I actually brought this up with the guys at jail on Monday when we were talking about the gospel. and. You know, the Romans road is sort of the method, right, of becoming saved. But what it looks like, I think, is a part that gets left out of a lot mm-hmm. of gospel messages. You know, Luke 14, you know, Jesus talks about um, if you don't hate your father and your mother, if you don't pick up your cross to, to follow me, if you don't deny yourself, if you don't forsake all, like this is what it should look like to follow Christ, But that doesn't really get preached very often that we hear of that, like, you're getting ready to come into um, a faith where people really, you should see some hatred coming your way, because they hated him first. So Mm -hmm. if you're not seeing any of that, and everybody thinks you're just the coolest guy in the world, and they love having you around them, and they're all worldly and sinful people, that should give you Mm -hmm. a sense of like, maybe I'm not really living this thing out the way I should be. Because um, I'm not getting yeah. a lot of pushback from most people.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I have heard people say, like, come to my church. You really like our pastor. He's so laid back. He's not, you know, one of those seemingly perfect. Yeah, I do want the seeming. I want to know who's the right person to follow. I'm not trying to follow someone who isn't going to make me feel um, comfortable. Like, I want to be around somebody who makes me feel uncomfortable in my sin. You know what I mean? And we want to be yeah. like that person. It's not that we think that they're judging us, that like you just automatically, um, it's a, you feel judged, but not by the person, but I think being around someone who's godly, it makes you look back at yourself, but you admire their godliness. They don't even have to say anything to you. Just by example, the way they live their life is, is enough. And it convicts right. you. We should
0: be convicted by the word of God. I mean, if someone's preaching the the word of God to us, that should be convicting to us. Um, none of us are living perfectly righteous. Um, so yeah, I mean, that should be something that's drawn out of us. And um, but I just again, I don't think that's the message you're seeing. And i there are certainly great churches. I would like to think we go to a church that's like that, but they're you know, even in our little town, so we just pulled. Um, you know, some stuff from some of the bigger churches in our area, and how they sort of market to newcomers coming to their church. So this one's from a church called Destiny down here. Very big; it has lots of campuses around um, our neighborhood down here. And just this little welcome here for the the newcomers: what to expect? And it says the very first line: At Destiny, we think church should be fun. <laughs> That's the first thing you want people to tell you: you're gonna come here and you're gonna have a good old time. Nothing flash says uh, appeals
1: to the flash. You're it's about fun. to get
0: convicted in your sin. Like, come here to have fun. Um, but then he says, you know, as an interdenominational church, we welcome people from all walks of life to join us. Um, and we were looking this up because this term interdenominational. I know it's not probably new. And maybe you guys can help us out if you've heard of this before and what your thoughts are on this. But to me, it seems almost like a seeker sensitive way of saying Mm non-denominational. Because I feel like non-denominational sort of has its own moniker about it when people hear that term. Whereas when you hear the term interdenominational, it's more of that idea of like, we welcome everybody from any denomination that wants to come here. We're so welcoming. We're not non-denominational. We're every denominational. (laughs) Like it just seems, and again, I could be off because, but we've seen this on a couple of churches when we were looking around at this, and it just seems like a um, a more seeker sensitive way of saying non-denominational. So just a a point there. Who
1: are they thinking that there's people of different denominations who have a denomination, like say they're Baptist or whatever are there people who are a who see themselves as baptists who feel uncomfortable going to a church isn't baptist do they really need to feel like they're welcome do they feel unwelcome unless it's spoken that they're welcome like why does it need to be said that you're welcome and implies that there's other churches who that wouldn't welcome you
0: i don't know because this mentality (laughs) bothers me again you see this at gyms all the time you know Planet Fitness's big motto is the judgment-free zone.
1: Have you ever felt judged in church or in a gym?
0: The only people that get judged are the people not in the gym, right? Like if you're an overweight person and goes to the gym, everybody's happy and proud that you're there. Nobody's like, oh, get out. Don't even try to improve yourself. Like, And no one sees you come to a church and is like, oh, do you feel convicted in your sins? Like... Get out of here. How many people... No, they want you to be there.
1: I want to know who actually has gone to a church and just been judged, like condemned, and was like, get out of here. The only thing, if you're a visitor, you're learning, that's one thing. But we are told to not tolerate a brother who lives in unrepentant sin because they're going to cause other people to stumble, especially a new person in the faith. You are supposed to tell them you can't you can't fellowship with us. They are called spots in your love feasts.
0: Yeah so but again, there I don't is know there's a time
1: and a place for that, but I know there are people who have professed um Christ who did get kicked out of their church for being homosexual, and that was the right thing for that church to do. They can admonish them as a brother, but they can't come and fellowship and be parading their rainbow colors and, and bring in their boyfriend or whatever, if they're a guy um, that's condoning sin and that's blaspheming in the name of Christ. So a church that doesn't tolerate sin among an, a believer that's, yeah. that's, that's right. That was the correct thing for that church to do. But, um, I mean, it's fine to let somebody who is new to the faith come and you know make them feel welcome but you don't know right off the start
0: well and shouldn't there be a sense of like holiness when people are walking into a church shouldn't they want to know that they're in a different sort of place and you hear this from a lot of non-believers or atheists and stuff that even went to church and they're like it's a freaking rock concert and like The pastor's up there, thinks he's, you know, just as cool as anybody. And like, they almost mock it when really they should be walking into a place. Not that it has to be, you know, the temple, right? But like, again, this is the idea that we should be looking different, living different. The world should see it as different. So when an unrepentant sinner comes into a church for a first time, it'd be nice if they notice like, oh, I'm in a different place here. Like these people live differently. This may be something that I want to do. This is the way I would Mm -hmm. like to live. Instead of being like, oh, this is just like what I do right now. Yeah. Like I was just at a concert last week that sounded just like this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm pretty comfortable with that. It's just, it's a very bizarre.
1: When you have to market your style of worship to get people to come to your church. Very modern, contemporary, upbeat. Come on that is the thing people care about. They go, I used to be that way. Yeah. That's how I decided if I liked, if I wanted to go to a church or not, did I like the worship? That was number one. I don't even think the teaching mattered to me. (laughs) I wanted to worship.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's not great. So, um, Oh, we pulled this church up here too. Let me see if we can find it. Um, Uh, Well, you guys can see it right here. You know, right on on the top here. Everyone is welcome here. Um, Couldn't be more welcoming. This one says they're non-denominational. I don't agree with
1: that first line. We believe that we are all children of God, and this is your Father's house. Like, no, it is not everybody's house. Not everybody is a child of God. God is not the Father of the unbeliever the one who hates god like i don't like that
0: yeah it's just bizarre you i mean can't and again tell
1: a, an atheist this is your father's house well
0: and it's one of those things too because like we want everyone to feel welcome here right but it's more of the marketing tactic of like
1: yeah it's a marketing everyone's
0: welcome here and then they go on to say like just come as you are it doesn't make a difference but like uh, i don't know like there's nothing there that seems to be pulling them to a higher place or
1: it, it's like a, it's a trick it's a trap like it isn't honest you're being a deceiver when you're just making it like oh come in and then you know well hopefully you give them the truth well, why are you tricking people and saying this is your father's house you can't say that to everybody because that's not even true what scripture are you using to back that up when they do come Give me proof. Show me the scripture that this is, God is my father too. Although I don't even believe he exists in that statement. You're just getting them in. And it is that whole thing. Like just, just love on them. Let's just, that isn't what people need. This, the church has been tolerant of sin and being loving for decades. And look where it's got us. It doesn't work.
0: Right. We keep saying, you know, the churches keep getting bigger and our spiritual um, our spiritual state keeps getting worse. Right. So something's got to be wrong. You're right? ashamed
1: of the truth of the gospel is what it is.
0: And I just think when you mark it that way, you're breeding, again, that culture of comfortableness. Yes. Just come comfort. as you are, be who you are. Whoever you are is welcome here, yeah. which, again... We want people to come, but we don't want you to be who you are. (laughs) We want you to come here and be who God wants you to be. We want you to come to a higher place. We want you to leave your old life of sin behind. Right. Um, But that's probably not a message that sells. But again, they should be walking into a place that seems different, that makes them feel different, looks different, is noticeably different.
1: Because if a sinner feels comfortable in your church— Your church is very worldly. Um, The sinner should feel uncomfortable in your church. They should be noticing godliness, a reverence for God's name. Um, They need to know there's a difference in the people here. And I'm on holy ground, and it's going to cause him to look inward instead of laying back in comfort and being treated like a VIP guest.
0: Yeah, and I mean, there's probably different ways to do that. Like, you don't want to go to the extreme where you're a Roman Catholic church, and it's just all sort of pomp and stuff. Yeah, but there should be a certain. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys understand what we're trying to say, hopefully. So, um, just those are just two churches around here that we sort of know that are seem, you know, to be more in that welcoming spirit. They don't, they're not certainly so far gone where they're Episcopalian and it's like, let your LGBTQ. I mean, they're definitely, but it's just, you can see that mentality of, right, you're welcome here, you're comfortable here. This is a place for you to belong and um, not a place really to become more than you were when you showed up. So that's the only reason we really highlighted those. So,
1: well, the church needs to be going out and being that light. You don't, like, it's just doing it backwards. Evangelism.
0: Well, we've talked about that plenty of times. The church is not an outreach ministry, outreach ministry is outreach ministry. And yeah, you really, can, you go
1: out and be the light. You don't just bring in unconverted people into your church. If you're preaching the gospel to them, they should be converted before they com- come to your church. But if you're just inviting sinners, enticing sinners to come into your church by appealing to their flesh, <laughs> You got your church is full of cowards if you're only just bringing sinners in and they were too afraid to ever share the gospel with them. Like, I I just hope like that's just what I'm thinking. I'm not saying that's what people are doing, but how could it be any different?
0: No, it is what people are doing because we've done it. (laughs) That's how we did church (laughs) for so long. Was like, hey, well, do you want to just come to church with me on like Easter? Maybe the pastor can convince them. Maybe he'll share the gospel. And, you know, and that's a it is a coward's way out. Um. But it's also a lazy way out too, right? Because pastors aren't alleviated from outreach. Um, They're still commanded to go into all the world and make disciples, just the same as anybody. So it's just, man, we've, you know, we've gotten into this funk. And again, like the guy said, man, everybody can see sin is a problem. Let's do something about it. Well, the problem is we built a culture of not doing anything about it. (laughs) So what are we, we're, you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place here. So. We definitely, you know, again, awakening may not be the words you like. And we talked about, we're not talking about the whole nation needs to be full of apostles walking around the most spiritual men in the world. But that's a far cry from where we are, where we're in this, you know, satanic stronghold here. Uh, We don't certainly have to stay here. So that's more what our hope is. And Mm -hmm. I mean, we're praying that we can be a catalyst for that, you know, Because we need a lot of prayer and a lot of encouragement and a lot of, you know, help from the Holy Spirit to become these people we want to be. And um, we're hoping that this podcast can be a little bit of that for us. You know, it definitely gives us some boldness and um, helps us there. But we want to take it beyond these (laughs) microphones and cameras, right? So, yes. um, Do you have any final thoughts on anything we talked about before we get to our sermon recommendation?
1: I just think focusing on um, fighting spiritual battles um, is being bold and preaching the truth. Just remember, it isn't just praying and warring in the spirit. It's warring face to face with those members of your family, your friends, with the word of God that you need to know that is how you're going to tear down the strongholds in their life by preaching the truth, preaching from the word of God. What does God say? And this is the way to life. This is the way to salvation, to tear down the strongholds, but share the gospel. Don't leave them hopeless. I know we talk about sin a lot. Yeah, you have to have the bad news before you have the good news, or the good news isn't good news.
0: Well, right, (laughs) I mean— I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess a good rule of thumb is, you know, if you ever are dealing with somebody and you feel like I should tell them this, but they're not going to like it. That should be a good indicator of like,
1: anyway. am
0: I, am I withholding the truth? Am I giving ground in this spiritual battle? If I know what I should say, but I know it's not going to be received well. That's that truth. That's that battleground well, that's that you got to fight of faith.
1: On. You prayed ahead of time, right? in your prayer closet for God to prepare the soil of their heart to receive the word. So you need to preach the word to them. You need to talk about sin and you need to talk about Jesus.
0: But it's also loving, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself, right? Because if you're a good, godly person who loves the Lord, you would want to be told when you're going astray. Yeah. You would hope that there would be someone around you that would go, dude, you're not doing this right. You're wrong. What you're, you, know, you would hope that you had godly men and women around you that would speak that truth in love. And so if we want people to do that for us, we also have to do that for them. Um, and again, it's uncomfortable. You might burn a few bridges. But again, if you're choosing Christ over the crowd, like you know Paul did, didn't desire to be loved and you know, lauded by men, then that's what you're going to do. Um, And that's what we want to see our nation do again. Um, That's what we want to start doing. You know, we want to be those people because, man, the nation can't keep going down the road that it's on. Because, again, our kids have to live in this world. So we can let it just burn down around us and, you know, sit in our prayer closet. But this is what we're giving to our children. I'd like to give them something that wasn't the pit of hell. That'd be nice, you know.
1: Leave an inheritance for your children.
0: (laughs) So um, we'll move on to our sermon recommendation here. I doubt that this will be the last time we talk about seeker-sensitive churches on this show. Uh, Hopefully it will, because hopefully tomorrow we're going to wake up and it's going to be a great awakening sweeping across the nation because of the Religionless Christianity podcast. So... Um, our sermon recommendation here comes from a podcast called the MacArthur Center podcast. and it's this l- newest episode here called um, MacArthur in Rome. And it's a really good podcast. You know, people feel a certain way about MacArthur. It's not a, as much about MacArthur. He's not the one doing the podcast. He does get featured in it because it's about his trip to Rome. Uh, but it's much more about Trying to reach Roman Catholics um, and ministering to Roman Catholics and sort of the errors in the Roman Catholic Church. And it's a really fascinating story. You know, MacArthur Mm -hmm. meets Mother Teresa and he shares what that experience was like, which is really fascinating. Um, And it's just a good tool to sort of remind ourselves. And it goes back to the Protestant Reformation a little bit and, you know, things like that. So it's a very enlightening podcast. It's only about an hour long. Um, and I think it's a good listen, mm-hmm. especially if you're interested to know, um, you know, some of the false teachings and some of the false doctrines mm-hmm. that Roman Catholics hold. I think it's a good place to go to for that. So um, do you have any final thoughts here before we get up out of here?
1: No, just I mean, listening to that podcast, though, did it really just opened my eyes to really like we have so many people to preach the gospel to that have, like, what he said in there is that they, the Roman Catholics, Catholics are just like the Pharisees, like, they're so close to the truth, but so far away.
0: And I think that is almost the perfect sort of idea of what we're trying to get across here. I mean, we could say seeker sensitive, we could say Roman Catholic, because there's a point in that podcast where Rick Warren is, um, a, a little snippet from Rick Warren is played, and he's talking about Ah, uh, you know, we agree on so much. Why don't we just focus on what we agree on and, and not worry about what we disagree on? And
1: yeah.
0: it's that exact mindset where you're like, the stuff we disagree on might be sending these people to hell. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we can say, hey, you know what? Let's just agree on this. Let's be friends. Let's. But if that leads someone to be worshiping Mary and all these sorts of things that could lead them to hell man, I mean, how much love do you really have for him? And how much friendship is there really? So that's sort of what we're talking about. It's not just your wayward sinning friend or atheist friend, but it's the the Mormon, right? It's the Roman Catholic, it's the Jehovah's Witness, all these different things that need to be confronted in love and truth, but with boldness, right? That spiritual warfare. And um, I think it's a good podcast. It was a good listen for us. But that is all we got we'll be back daily devotionals on monday and um yeah we'll see if we can get uh doctrine matters up on this podcast so that's all we got for you guys god bless